You're listening to the Native Plants Healthy Planet Podcast, presented by Pinelands Nursery. Here are your hosts, Fran Chismar and Tom Knezic. Welcome to Allergy Season and the Buzz, brought to you by the Native Plants Healthy Planet Podcast, presented by Pinelands Nursery. I am Fran Chismar. And I'm Tom Knezik, and today we're buzzing into episode 157. And Do you have allergies? No. All right. Uh, I shouldn't say no. Much more mild than anyone else I know, know of. It's a... Uh, Minor hit or miss. Like, well, when I was a kid, they were really bad, and some years they don't really affect me this year. Yeah. And I've, I've recently thrown my back out so i'm trying very hard to not sneeze yeah because it's like a double way it's um it's always funny this time of year because i'll be like yeah, my eyes kind of itch a little bit and i got a little bit of a headache i wonder if what's going on with me and then i'll like say that to my wife and then she's like it's allergies and she's like just all puffed she's terrible and um, i'm like oh yeah i feel bad for complaining now because I, uh because it does not hit me very hard I was down this morning in our seven-gallon crop looking at, at for pruning purposes, mm-hmm. and by the time I got back up here, I couldn't stop rubbing my eyes. And I'm like, all right, I, I have to stop or my eyes are going to be the size of golf balls. Yeah, yeah. No, it's funny because I didn't even think about it too much until you just uh, you said it. And then I'm like, yeah, my eyes are a little irritated. <laughs> I feel it. But it's not like anything I was uh, even thinking about, clearly. So, but – we like to do a little bit of follow-up on some some things that came up in past episodes that we learned uh, more after we forgot the share in this case. Uh, before we get into all that really fun, cool native plant uh, stuff that we always give you every week. And uh, so, Fran, why don't you start with the, the first one on this list? Sure. Actually, I wanted to add one that's not on here. And and we kind of did this the last buzz, mm-hmm. but to say welcome to all the new members yeah. of the oh, – yeah. all the new listeners. We've had another huge influx of listeners and mm-hmm. members to the Native Plants Healthy Planet Facebook group. For sure. So we just wanted to say thank you to all the new uh, new listeners that found us and welcome. And we'll kind of walk you through this a little bit like we did the last buzz just so you know the segments, the reoccurring segments mm-hmm. and what we do. But I just wanted to address that. But uh, the – the first thing we wanted to follow up on that we forgot the last buzz that we said we'd circle back is the SAMI conference, which mm-hmm. is the Society of American Military Engineers. Uh, and Tom and I and uh, Tom's brother Steve attended the conference three weeks ago now. Three, yes, probably three weeks ago. Uh, I, yeah, so it was. Uh, it was. Oh, I can I guess I can look at my calendar and tell you for sure. It was in April. It was in April. Yeah. It was on a Friday. (laughs) Uh, I'm currently looking back. It was on April 21st. Yeah. So about three weeks now. Yeah, three. About three three weeks weeks now. So uh, Tom went for the first time last year and and couldn't stop talking about how good of a conference it was. It's a one-day conference, and uh, I was fortunate enough to be able to go this year. And it just gives you a really good insight to what's happening Mm -hmm. in the restoration world, especially – uh, there was a lot of coastal resiliency work uh, being talked about. Yeah, this, this conference in particular is all about. I think it's their the samey coastal resiliency conference. conference. And um, so for what we do, when is to grow a lot of plants that sort of grow in salt marshes and along coastlines, uh, it is the who's who of who we want to sit down with. <laughs> so yeah, exactly. It's like all of our customers are there. The people that are are. Customers, customers are there. The people that hire our customers are there. So it's like, oh, we should probably be here and, and yeah. learn 
Yes. So, but it's it's just fascinating, fascinating stuff that they talk about as well. And it was it's nice to hear about some of the efforts uh, through the DEP and 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 other organizations and and uh, private entities. But you know, we were really excited to hear about. Atlantic White Cedar Restoration in New Jersey that they were saying within a 10-year span they're trying to restore – I'm trying to – was it 10,000 acres? 10,000 10, acres yeah. of Atlantic White Cedar bog. But a lot of it had to do with climate change and mm-hmm. uh, sea level rise and and other, other things tied into climate change. And it was just how are we going to protect our barrier islands and what can be done and what the models are and what we're looking at in the future. And it was it was a really – a huge eye opener in that respect, mm-hmm. uh, but it was also impressive to see the impressive group of individuals tasked with yeah. working on this yeah. um, and what they had to say. So it mm-hmm. was, yeah, I, I kind of it's one of those ones where I feel like I'm looking in. I'm like, do I belong here? Like, <laughs> like this is pretty incredible stuff. So, um, but it was it was a fantastic uh, one day event that that we all got. Uh, a great amount about with some great speakers and learned about some great projects uh, being done. So, yeah, cool. That was it. Was really a, a lot of fun conference. It's um, it's one that I look forward to every year, uh, mostly for the networking. I always feel bad. It, this happens at every conference I go to, and I used to think it was like other people were like the ones that played hooky from the seminars and wanted to talk. Outside and then I'm like, it happens at every conference, so it has to be me. That's, <laughs> that's actually the one. Like I feel bad not going in and, and listening, but I end up just talking to people outside for way longer. Well, to be fair, I, I not every talk is going to resonate with what you what you uh, need to do. So mm-hmm. there's there's definitely talks that are more important than other talks, and you find that some of the people you need to talk to sometimes that conversation is more important than the conversation going on in the auditorium. Yep. 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 So. I completely get that. And, Fran, you have something else on our list here. Uh, you told me to throw it on last I, time. I or do you texted remember. me and said, remind me to remind you about beef hearts. Okay. Yeah. I guess I can tell now. I was thinking of I could use it as a secret, but I oh, will. Do you want to keep can, it for a secret? Because I don't have a secret. No, I can. I've come up with another secret. All and right. um, and I, I am a big proponent of of eating animal organs i think the the research that i've seen is it it shows how how healthy some of this stuff can be for you um and how like mineral dense and and nutrient dense it can be um and then like historically it was really important for human survival so um that being said that was a more modern (laughs) more common thing it's becoming a more common thing to hear from a lot of people just in general now uh but about Ten years ago, <laughs> I was not on that kick, <laughs> and um, my dad came up to visit me when I was in college, and uh, and it was a couple of friends and and he we were sitting out by a campfire and he bought hamburgers for us to cook over the like the campfire, and I don't remember what brand it was, but we had these hamburgers and we're all eating them after we grilled them. Like oh maybe the wood was a little. They just tasted. It wasn't like they tasted bad. They just tasted different. Okay. And um and I'm like, I'm gonna just look at these. See what they they were like real fatty. Like okay. they shrunk up like it was oh, they'd okay. start out yeah. big and they shrink. So which usually means that they're pretty fatty. So I was looking more for the fat content of these the the hamburger. And uh that I'm looking at somehow I've like stumbled on the ingredients list and it was like the number one ingredient was beef hearts. 
Really? Meaning that like most of it was was beef heart. In fact, I think like ground beef was way down the list. Really? It wasn't even like in the top three or four. Um, and I wish I remembered the brand because they honestly don't it, taste bad. Was it frozen or was it they a fresh? Frozen, it was yeah. a frozen patty. Okay. And they don't taste bad. They just were different. They were like, um, it was a very regional thing. But uh, but if you had Scrapple, it was like if you had Scrapple but not with the seasonings in it. Okay. It just had like that same like texture, like super crispy on the outside like really fatty and then just like there was just the slight uh minerally taste that you'd get from eating real heart. Yeah. So cuz I get it was real heart, so I have never ever looked at a list of ingredients on a hamburger patty. You wouldn't think you need cuz I would just yeah. think it's it's ground beef. And even in that case, I wasn't looking for the ingredients. Yeah. I was looking for the fat to to uh, lean breakdown, and that was just what I came. There was it wasn't on the box, wow. so I looked at the ingredients, and um, I was I probably was even more surprised that there was an ingredient list on it. Now, did you and, tell anybody else that? Oh yeah, I yeah. told everyone, and then um, <laughs> then flash forward uh, probably like a few years later, and I was playing in a lacrosse tournament. So I'm in my early mid twenties, um, and I'm playing in a lacrosse tournament in Ocean City, Maryland, and with thirty other like guys that are in the same range we rented a couple houses down there and we had a little fire pit in between and that was what we cooked on and i became like the cook because i like okay, it yeah and the one guy who's in charge of the team just went to walmart or wherever and just loaded up on food and just got the cheapest hamburgers he could yeah. and so so he <laughs> takes out that like it was an orange case of <laughs> like 36 patties and he's like oh yeah here get cooking and i'm like oh the beef hearts and everyone's like what are you talking about <laughs> i'm like oh yeah these are mostly beef hearts but by the end of the week or weekend yeah. everyone loved them because yeah. they really they didn't like i said they were incredibly cheap didn't taste that bad and it was a a beef byproduct i wonder what the nutrient content is oh i have that. no idea um, like if it's better for you than ground beef, if it's cheaper, I would imagine yeah. it's more of a, I wonder if that's a part that's typically used because we talked about it before for like dog food or pet food. Yeah. Yeah. Probably. I would, I don't know. I, yeah. I, and I'm looking on Walmart's website right now. I even Googled like beef heart hamburgers and now it's like a, a thing. It's okay. People are like into this now. And, um, wow. Interesting. Yeah. I'm wondering if I've, if I've had them now. Yeah, I got into it more out of guilt, like because I hunt, yeah. and I would have you're you're throwing so much of the animal away when you do that. Like yeah. if these deer weighs what, 120 pounds or something, if you had yeah. like a, a mature doe, but then so much of that is it's like in its organs, yeah, and so the like the lungs. I I guess you could eat, but I don't. Um, and then I was like, well, the heart, you, it's edible, so let's try it. And then you start finding some really cool recipes where it's not – you get something with, like, more aggressive marinades yeah. and whatnot, and it kind of, like, tempers the, the overall – because it is an in, intense flavor on its own. Um, and same thing with liver. Like, liver is – I'm not a big, like, just I chopped have, up liver and onions guy. I, I make it into uh, pate, I guess. Yeah, I have never had liver. Yeah. Really? Now, as a kid, it was something that my dad loved, and he would have it often, and my I, mom would always – my sisters would just tell me, you don't want this, and my mom would only make it for my dad. Like it was never something that we had to eat, mm-hmm. but my dad loved liver and onions. Yeah. But I've never had it. Yeah. Um, 
it, it is interesting how like okay. you have these these generational um I, I want to say dialects that's not right at all uh generational tastes that because I know like people from that generation yeah. love liver and onions yeah. that's why they still have it on diner menus yeah it's and it's I think it's something they grew up eating yeah you know because my my parents grew up during the depression so mm-hmm. i think that was probably maybe a cheaper alternative <laughs> you know all those new listeners that you welcomed yes. like, are the they're all gone now <laughs> so we're back to our core group <laughs> I thought it was plants. So, but, but we do, like i said we do like to follow up on some things that all right that uh we find are pertinent and or fun or just endearing to our listeners like talking about uh the, beef hearts. The, the early years in beef hearts. <laughs> well, you know, it's it's actually our our first segment deals exclusively with native plants. Yeah. So maybe that's a good segue. Yeah. Yeah. So in that segment, uh, we title it "That's Hot," and it's really just a a phenology chart of sorts um, that we keep that we then we don't keep track of at all, <laughs> and uh, that we we just kind of go out and say, "Hey, this is what we see that is of interest to us this year." Could be something that's blooming. Could be something that's just has like a we found a new fact about. Could be something that just catches our eye for whatever reason. That's what we do right here. So Fran, give us the music. It's hot. For once, I actually got it right. I didn't yeah. mess up and, and hit something. And wrong. Fran, I'm interested in yours. Um, All right. And why you picked yours? So I'm going to let you go first. Well, mine would be Allium trichocum, which is uh, wild ramps or wild leeks, and it's because. You recently were able to sustainably collect some and share them with me. Mm-hmm. So I took most of them, and I'm trying to start my own stand uh, where we can we can enjoy them for the future, uh, and also and also establish them where they mm-hmm. they they should live and can live and and create a community as as part of it. So um, I took. How did you use yours, by the way? From a a cooking perspective? Yeah, cooking perspective. Oh, I've done all sorts of stuff. Um, We used them two ways. I So we just put them on pizza the other night. That was one of the ways. I just made like a – well, I guess I I made a – like a – I haven't perfected my like Trenton tomato pie yet. Okay. But I'm trying, and I put some ramps on that one. And then we just did – it was torn fresh mozzarella, olive oil, and ramps. Nice. And just did that, a little bit of salt on top, or a little bit of Parmesan cheese on top, too. And then that was, and that was phenomenal. I, I, I also sauteed some, uh, mm-hmm. a little bit crispy with some peppers and did it with a sausage, like yeah. a mild sausage. Mm-hmm. And that it, sounds it, really good. Yeah. We did it on, uh, I, at my, my hunting club, um, at our meeting, I cooked for that and I just, Chopped the whole bunch up really fine, and then mixed it in with potatoes and roasted them. And oh, that nice! Was, that that was really sounds good. good. That's a good idea. So, yeah, nothing like like frying potatoes and well, baking potatoes in a lot of fat that kind of fries. <laughs> Get some crispy, and yeah. then just mixing that garlicky oniony flavor. Oh, it was, it was really really good. So it just made me appreciate something that's that you can forage that is native. Uh, that kind of is very trendy right now mm-hmm. and is getting over harvested in a lot of places not necessarily and and we're going to talk about this more this is uh going to go safer later for take or leave it so i'm actually going to stop talking about that right now but i took the dis- description from wildflower.org uh which is two long glossy oval leaves appear in the early spring and wither away before smooth 
uh, six to sixteen inch flowering stalks mature. Small white flowers occur in hemispherical terminal clusters, uh, and the plant has a mild onion taste. Uh, did you did you saute any of the bulbs, or did you just do leaves? I didn't. I just did I leaves. planted. Right. I planted all the bulbs. Yeah, uh, in late April. Before this species comes into flower, the people of the Great Smoky Mountains gather the plant for their annual ramp festival. Foliage and bulbs can be used in salads and soups. Native Americans treat its stings with juice from the crushed bulbs. Uh, the blooms are white to yellow June through August. Uh, native Maine to New Jersey, west to Nebraska, north to North Dakota. Uh, it takes shade and rich, moist soils. grows best where it's, uh, there are sunny conditions in the early spring. Uh it crushed foliage and bulbs have strong onion flavors, may be eaten, eaten. Some allium species can become weedy in warmer climates. This I thought was interesting, this part. Uh, uh, edible parts, the leaves, bulbs, and bulbets, field garlic is too strong for most tastes. Uh, gather leaves during spring and fall. Gather the bulbs in the second year when they are large enough to use like cultivated onions. Flower stem bulbets are collected during the summer. Use as domestic onions for seasoning or raw in salads. Bulbs can be used raw, boiled, picked, uh, or for seasoning. Their strong taste can be reduced by parboiling and discarding the water. To freeze uh, onions or garlic, one should coarsely chop, blanch two minutes, drain, pat dry, and place them into uh, plastic bags. Um, the bulbs can also be dried for use as seasoning. Use flower bulbs to flavor soup or for pickling. This Actually, this was the point uh, that I thought was interesting poisonous parts all parts are technically poisonous because it's only low toxicity if eaten can be safely eaten in small amounts large quantities are not recommended symptoms may include nausea vomiting diarrhea <laughs> which i hadn't really heard yeah oh um, i hadn't either um so i thought that was really interesting that technically we're eating them and they're good and yeah. because it's such a strong taste you're really not Using large amounts, yeah, yeah. You're, you're really using small amounts. I beg to differ. <laughs> I, was, I was using large amounts. <laughs> no, I really was. It, they a little goes a long way. Yeah. Um, no, that's interesting. Yeah, very interesting. Yeah, I hadn't known that, so I just thought that was was fun to add in there. Yeah. As a oh, very cool uh, side note. What do you What yeah. do you have this week? Mine is is also uh, an edible plant. That after I didn't you, include in here. After you tell that, I'll tell you how I know that's edible. Yeah, yeah. Okay. And I've actually eaten it before. Yeah. So I, I actually had some today. Really? <laughs> yeah. I'm planning on having yeah. some later. Um, my plant, the, wow, that's really dark, uh, is Robina. Robinia. Robinia. Pseudocasia. 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 Yeah. Are you sure? Yeah. That looks like it says pseudoacacia. Oh, maybe it is. Yeah, maybe it is. I'm, not I, I'm known to be wrong. Yeah, yeah, but most <laughs> people are going to know that by black locust, and they're going to wonder why I'm picking this plant. <laughs> I kind of I gave it away already, um, because black locusts have a, a reputation, especially in our area, yeah. as being somewhat invasive. Because um, we're outside of the native range, yes. the traditional native range of this plant, and they really can take over fast. Yes, and um, and I. Pulled a little uh, snippet out of Morton Arboretum's description, and I did think it was interesting too because the the name why it's dark on our screen is because I just copied and pasted yeah. it. But it also says in the name is like do not recommend <laughs> in, in there, and uh, so that snippet says black locusts have invasive traits that are enable them to spread aggressively. While these trees have demonstrated invasive traits, there is insufficient supporting research to declare them so pervasive 
that they cannot be recommended for any planting sites. Review of the risks should be undertaken before selecting these trees. Black locusts produce hanging clusters of very fragrant white flowers in the spring. This fast-growing native tree can form colonies and has brittle wood. Sharp spines may be present, which and they suck. I hate the spines. Yeah. Nothing they, worse. I love walking barefoot, walking through the yard, and, and I have a whole hedgerow black locust, and the branches obviously come down in the yard, and I'll have cleaned them up, but little pieces persist, and I'll step on a spine and get a big hole in my foot. Not fun. Um, and, and it does have brittle wood. Like oh, yeah. You do get a lot of uh, broken branches, and I know part of the uh, the reason that because they, they will colonize and come in on their own and we're really not native – I know there's a problem with uh, riparian buffers because a lot of the purpose of riparian buffer is to remove uh, nitrogen mm-hmm. from the soil before it gets to your water source. Mm-hmm. While this is nitrogen fixing, so it's actually putting nitrogen into the mm-hmm. into the soil, kind of yeah. like um, like a legume almost. Yeah. Um, and the flower actually kind of reminds me of a, a legume flower. Mm-hmm. Also, It'd be, that's because it it is in a sense. Um, I think it's in the, the pea family, like many other things, and the flower kind of has that flavor. So yeah. you can eat the flowers of this plant, which and is – And you can eat it raw. Yeah, one of, my, one of my good things. And they're, they're described on the Forager Chef's website as being uh, slightly floral and then slightly pea-like. It's kind of like sweet pea yeah. flavor with yep. like a floral hint. Yeah. It's a good way to put it. And they it. smell – I love the smell of them this yeah. time of year. Um, and I'm going to collect like a whole bunch – uh, for Alyssa Lewis, you can use these in teas. I'm sure yeah. you're probably already doing that. Yeah. But so many teas end up like darker in color when you dry these out. They're a nice white. So if you're going to give it as a gift or, or you have it like in a display type jar, that adds like a little bit of a color contrast there. And it'll give your tea more of a floral note. Um, and then the recipe that the Forager Chef has on here okay. that he likes from former guest Sam Thayer, they're buddies because they're both from Wisconsin, yeah. and they both like the forage clearly. Yeah. Uh, is actually for, oh, as I lose the page, but it's basically they take a large amount of uh, black locust flowers. Uh, don't wash them. Okay. They're rain washed. They can guess they can get waterlogged if you wash them. Saute them in some kind of oil. Cook them down about halfway through. You're going to add more. Okay. And then cook them down about halfway through those. Now you're adding some more. So you have like a good combination of like fresh and like, and cook, uh, cook. and right. then you just eat it like a, a vegetable. Very um, nice. But even the forge, he has it on a as like a garnish on a, a crepe with like white chocolate filled crepe with macadamia nuts. Kind and of very similar to like a salad what, garnish and all kinds of cool stuff. What you would do with like red bud flowers? Yeah. Um, yeah. The reason why I you know- can also jelly these as well, which oh. reminds that's a good follow up too. I did not get the red buds in time. The weekend okay. I was going to do it, it poured rain, and I checked them the next day, and, like, so many had gotten knocked off, and the ones ah. that were left just weren't looking great. So I'm like, I'm going to guess I'll wait till next year. That's Or right. I'll head north and <laughs> get some up there. Now, the only reason I know they were edible is when my wife and I first started dating, we were at a park, and we were doing a picnic, and we walked by a black locust, and she picked off flowers and went to eat them. And I almost, like, smacked them out of her hand. I was like, whoa, like – do you know that you can eat those? And she goes, oh, well, we have these trees back in Poland, and I would eat them as a kid. I'm like, but this is native here. Yeah, It may look similar. I wouldn't eat that yet. <laughs> and, I'm and, like, and justifiably, she also yeah. said that you can identify mushrooms by sticking your tongue on them. Poisonous, yeah, she was saying poisonous or not. she was taught as a kid you would put your tongue on the gills, and if your tongue started to tingle, that was a poisonous mushroom and not to eat it. It doesn't work yeah. for everything, yeah. but um, – even Sam Thayer was like, oh, I don't know if I'd go by that. 
<laughs> but um, but we did look it up, and it was edible, and it tasted the way she remembered them tasting. So there must be something in like a very similar family mm-hmm. in Europe to that. But uh, yeah, it's. I even got our propagator to try one today, mm-hmm. and yeah. he was saying he expected it to be sweet. He's like, didn't taste what I thought it would taste like, mm-hmm. but it wasn't bad. Yep. So he swallowed. He didn't. He didn't spit it out. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah. So it, now this plant is divisive because it has those invasive tendencies. Yes. But there is value because you can one valuable because humans can eat it, but yeah. also it's it's the host for like and quite a number of pollinators. Yes. Yeah. Um. So it's there's benefits to it, but there's also downsides. I am more or less anti-black locust but since they're here and i'm not getting rid of them um i will i will utilize them to the fullest i guess you can use them really for fence posts too because the wood doesn't really rot no i don't Um, think we're that far outside of the native range if i remember correctly like i think the native range ends in like the true native range in pennsylvania i thought so i don't think we're that let you know far out Uh, all right we're gonna look it up real quick it is yeah uh pennsylvania is the closest we get like even even um like bucks county and the counties and, near us and we're five miles from bucks yep. county yep. so we're not that far outside yeah. of its native but range. it's listed as inventive in in new jersey new york going up in new england and then uh really west of missouri it's 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 present in every state okay um but the main states tend to be uh alabama then headed east and north and then uh, miss, skipping Mississippi, but then Missouri, Arkansas, uh, Tennessee, native yeah. in that range. Right. So, yeah. I wonder, there's no, uh, th- you know, we just talked, they have a ramp festival in West Virginia. Where's the uh, Black Locust Festival? Are I don't know, flowers? but there is a wild foods festival that I caught it like the week after it ended last year mm-hmm. in September, somewhere in Ohio, or maybe it's Wisconsin. And I'm, uh, I'm that's very something I want to go. go. I'm like, I'm going to expense this as a, Podcast trip. Ooh. And, uh, Does that mean I get to go too? We'll see. We'll see what your boss says. <laughs> <laughs> no, honestly, I would I think it's a great idea. Yeah. I think it's there is so much content to be had there. But um I would love that. So. I would totally love that. All right. So two two plants that you should familiarize yourself with if you don't know them. They both have uh plenty of value. The one's a little more controversial, uh, but whether it's controversial or not, it's a native plant. And you should get to know it. So um, it may even be something you want to put in your yard. Maybe you have problems getting something established, and that's the right conditions for it. So uh, get to know those. But now is the time that we go to our uh, semi-weekly botany-based current events uh, that we always – because like anything else, we have to make it a comp- uh, competition. Uh, let's head to this or that. You can get with this or you can get with that. So we do have a winner. Uh what we do is Tom and I both present current events that have to do with ecology, uh, mostly native plants. Uh, sometimes we get away from that a little bit. Uh, on the last buzz, I did one about uh, native plants in Hawaii rebounding, uh, which was a follow-up to one where they were saying Hawaii was mostly non-native plants at this point. Uh, Tom had an article about the California super bloom. Is that right? Or am I missing? Yeah, you're missing them. I'm missing it. That was two buzzes ago. Two buzzes ago. All right. Oh, we are on our A game. We've been doing pretty well up until that. I missed it. I'm looking too. So, all right. uh, Let's see. It was, uh, I'm trying to remember what mine was now. 
the, our memories are shot this time of year. It Not is. Not that they were that good. Well, I was going to say, we've recorded so many podcasts that are just in the can for future, and we're that's our topic that we're going to talk about, and one's coming up. Um, but that got missed when I updated the notes. I'm trying to, I'm trying to remember what my, I'm trying to remember before you look it up what mine was, and I can't. I'm, the, I'm going. We're we're way. It's back pretty here. far down. Yeah, it's it's pretty. We've far had down. a lot. There's been a lot of posts in this group. Well, I will say this: we have a winner. Yeah, and that's part of it's so far down because of how many posts we've had in the last two weeks. But we do have a winner, and the winner this week is Tom. He's back on his winning ways, and he wins by a vote of fourteen to ten. So it was a it was a little close. Yes, right. it was. Uh, it was fourteen to ten. Your article was. I don't remember. Uh, bees face many challenges. Oh, that's right. And I don't. That's where it climate change with bees, bees, uh, and what they face with climate change and what it means to mm-hmm. native bees. And then and mine was from uh, the David Suzuki Foundation and titled "Knowledge of Nature Challenges Human Centric Thinking." So David Suzuki beats the fall of bees due to climate change. I'm I'm actually making it a little more dramatic than that. Yeah. But it was but that's pretty good. So Tom, you get to pick if you would like to present first or second this um, this episode. You know, I usually let you go first, so I'm gonna go first. All right, do it. And uh and mine I picked an incredibly long article. Oh and you it I have disclaimer here, it's not about <laughs> native plants. <laughs> It's, and it's not about cougars. It's, it's, it's about houseplants of all things. Oh, all right. Okay. But I think it ties in really nicely with uh, with a topic that we're going to talk about later. So maybe maybe I'll let you go first because then all we right. can segue. Maybe. I'll... All right. All right. So mine is, of all things, it popped up in the Trentonian. So if you're local to New Jersey, Trentonian is – What? how would you classify the Trentonian? Um, I wouldn't say it's a rag paper. But I, it's, I wanted to say that, and I bought myself. But it's uh, it's it's not up there with the Wall Street Journal. No, um, no. it's towards the bottom. But it's not bit. not yeah. It's uh, the Trentonians. The Trentonians' claim to fame for the longest time during my teens and early twenties was that they had a page six girl, a uh, bikini girl, for the longest time. You know that was that's what kind of paper it is, kind of like the New York Post. Would you say it's similar to the New York Post? Uh, um, similar in in headline he- headline, <laughs> headline structure. Uh, not even no. It's not as it's not as bad in headlines. It's um, and it definitely doesn't have as much uh, clout. No, but uh, yeah. So, it's 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 a small city paper. Yeah, yeah so, it touches on local topics. It's some of which are are. Out there sometimes. Yes. Yeah, very true. So and and I was kind of surprised to see this article show up, which is New Jersey's native plants need stronger protection. And this is by Allison Mitchell. And again, this is you can find this on Trentonian.com. Um you wouldn't guess it from its name, but the wild plant called sensitive joint vetch has beautiful buttery yellow flowers with red centers and veins. Its name comes from its leaves, which fold slightly when touched. American cre- Oh, sorry. American chaff seed is another wild plant, which we actually talked about on an episode that you won't hear for three weeks. And we also talked about it in a long time ago. And, <laughs> yeah, well, with in, Dr. Dwayne Estes. Actually, in an episode that you just heard recently with Dr. Yeah. Dwayne Estes. So. Uh, American chaff seed is another wild plant whose name gives little clue about its attractive bl- uh, blossoms, large tubular purplish-yellow flowers on a sturdy stalk. 
Then there's Small World Pagonia, a delicate orchid that grows in hardwood forest, sea beach amaranth, which grows on sandy beaches and whose purple edges leaves outshine its tiny white flowers, and Swamp Pink, a wetlands plant with bubblegum pink flower clusters on slender stalks. And that's something Dr. Emil DeVito talked about. Um, what do these plants have in common? They're all New Jersey natives that are globally rare and seriously imperiled. They're listed as endangered by the federal government and somewhat protected. But these and many other rare native New Jersey plants need more help to ensure they don't go extinct and become lost forever. New Jersey has about 2,100 native plant species. That is, plants that occur naturally and without human introduction in our state. About 800 are considered rare and of conservation concern by the state's natural heritage program run by the Office of Natural Lands Management under the Department of Environmental Protection. While New Jersey has only a handful of federally listed plant species, there are 356 native plant species listed as state endangered, meaning they're they're the ones closest on the brink of regional extinction. Native plants face many threats, including habitat loss due to development. Preserving natural lands helps protect native plants against development. But even on preserved lands, exploding deer populations, competition from invasive plant species, illegal use of off-road vehicles, ill-conceived habitat alteration projects, and an ever-increasing threat of climate change are whittling away at rare plant populations. Sadly, New Jersey's... Uh, Rare native plants have few protections under the law except in the Pinelands and Highlands regions where permit reviews offer some protection. The state is required by law to keep a list of endangered native plants, but it's only that, a list with no teeth. If we want our rare plants to continue to exist, we as a state need to do better. For example, a population of a rare wildflower called twinleaf, Jeffersonia difila, named for Thomas Jefferson, is currently threatened by a proposed state Department of Transportation Highway Project within Washington Crossing State Park. The DEP is working with the DOT to adjust its plans to avoid impacts to twin leaf and other rare plant populations. But success is not guaranteed because there are no rules specifically protecting rare plant species at this natural heritage priority site in the state park. Since tougher regulations could never come in time, only strong public advocacy can help ensure the plants are protected. One positive development for native plants is that Thanks to the efforts of the 11 new New Jersey-based Garden Club affiliates with the Garden Club of America, the state legislature recently passed a joint resolution designating April as Native Plants Month. We talked about this with uh, a a future guest as well. It was signed by Governor Murphy on April 14th. The resolution calls upon public officials, businesses, educational institutions, and citizens – to observe the month by planting or providing regenerative care to native plants, removing non-native invasive plants, and engaging in educational activities to learn about the benefits of preserving native plants. According to Wendy Major, Major, uh, conservation chair of the Garden Club of Princeton, the GCA became involved in this cause to highlight the critical importance of native plants to sustaining healthy ecosystems and biodiversity. She noted that many animal species, including pollinators, butterfly caterpillars, and birds, are at risk of extinction because of non-native plants aren't part of the food chain they depend upon. The Native Plant Moth Resolution is a small but important step towards building momentum for stronger protections. Native Plant Month, not moth. Right now, this state uh, this state we're in is far behind neighboring New York and Pennsylvania in safeguarding our rarest native plants. Another important step is the introduction of the Senate Bill S-2186 aimed at stopping the spread of invasive species through better regulation. 
including a ban on the sale of invasives, which Tom has been a – you spoke to uh, the state mm-hmm. uh, yeah. uh, about that. Uh, the legislation would also reinstate the New Jersey Invasive Species Council and uh, advisory group that was eliminated in 2010, which I believe your father was a member of. Mm-hmm. Uh, here are some other steps that should be taken. Uh, so we're just about at the end of this. Enact a new state law making it illegal to harm rare native plants just as it's, just as it's illegal to harm threatened and endangered animals. Under state law, wildlife belongs to the people of New Jersey, not the owners of the land on which it's living. People can't just go out and kill a bald eagle or a bobcat and shouldn't be allowed to wipe out plants threatened by extinction. The law should also create a designation of threatened as well as endangered for plants. Write effective regulations based on the law and hire enough staff to enforce the regulations. Unfortunately, the state's Office of Natural Land Management has had its staff cut repeatedly in recent years. The Office of Natural Land Management must be given the ability to revive and strengthen its natural heritage and natural area programs to protect native plants. Engage in effective enforcement of illegal off-road vehicle activities on both private and public lands. Continue to buy and preserve key conservation lands to contain habitat for rare native plants. The state buys some land directly and at the same time provides funding for private nonprofit organizations like the New Jersey Conservation Foundation to acquire and preserve land. Speak up for native plants, support the Invasive Species Bill, and urge your legislature, legislators to pursue strong protections for rare native plants. Future generations deserve to have them and the animals that rely on them living on this earth. So uh, – and then they give some links to uh, New Jersey Native Plant Society, uh, the Office of Land Management. I believe the person who wrote this article works for NJCF. If I remember correctly, uh, yeah, an employee one of, of one of those. Uh, yeah, I, I have it right here. I don't know why I'm saying one of those. Uh, yes, Mitchell. New Jersey Conservation Jersey Foundation. Foundation. Yeah. So, and and it's it's nice to see an article bringing to light some of these struggles about plants that a lot of people don't know about. Um, they they may have walked by them uh, by accident and not even known what they were looking at, but mm-hmm. uh, so many of these are so special and so rare. And their habitat, so many of these rare species depend on uh, symbiotic relationships with other rare species, so they can't just occur anywhere. You can't just propagate them and throw them out because uh, there's not enough seed to even do that or the mm-hmm. conditions exist to create that. So we have these special things that kind of get overlooked in the scope of so many other things, and I kind of like that it's we're, – we're a little bit behind the ball, but – momentum's building like the invasive species bill um Mm. and it's just kind of nice to see that yeah it's another one of those things where where you wonder how many things we didn't find before they were the last one left yeah and uh and all that kind of stuff and um you don't want it to like i always think about someone in the office the other day asked what Xerxes stood for, the Xerxes Society, mm-hmm. and I was like, oh, it's an extinct butterfly yeah. um, that went extinct I think in the 50s. So uh, you don't want to have something else named after something that we kind of let <laughs> yeah. let disappear. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So no, that's a it's a good article, and it's it's true not just in New Jersey but many, many states. Yeah. Um, and we have some really passionate people who are, are sticking up for some of these uh, – rarer plants i'll yeah. say and uh and we might not always agree at times but overall our mission is the same no, to and, preserve and, these populations and that's a special area that that washington's crossing park mm-hmm. on both the pa side and the new jersey side the pa side yeah. is where bowman's hill wildflower preserve mm-hmm. is 
the New Jersey side, you're not far off from like Baldpate Mountain yeah. and the Friends of Hopewell mm-hmm. Valley Open Space and Sourland Conservancy. It's a really special, unique area um, yeah. that so many special uh, plant species uh, and wildlife interactions mm-hmm. that it it'd be a shame to lose. Those. Yeah, no, and I'll actually uh, I'll rephrase what I just said is we might not always agree on how to preserve these species yes. the same way. It's not that we don't agree on whether they should be preserved, be preserved or not. Um, yeah. but it's, we're, we're working towards the same thing. Yeah. And, um, and then sometimes it's frustrating to see how heated some of these arguments can get and almost feels like it's distracting at times from the yes. main, the main goal. Yeah. But no, it's, it's good that this is coming out in a local paper where yes. local people are going to read it. People that probably yeah. weren't exposed to this kind of stuff. Before. I, I agree. It's an article that you wouldn't expect to be in this paper. Mm-hmm. And I'm glad that it is because I hope. You know, it's it's opening eyes to a subject that maybe they wouldn't have seen yeah. otherwise. So I want to hear about houseplants. All right. What do you got? Well, house house houseplants per se, because I'm going to talk about spaghetti. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I, we're going to be like the only podcast that doesn't talk about how all this spaghetti, spaghetti got, dump. got dumped on the side of the road. I guess we're talking about it now. Um, in our great state of New Jersey, yeah. no less. And, uh, yeah, interesting. The great interesting spaghetti things. dump. Yeah, I loved how all the like all the the foragers came out of the woodwork and were like, "Oh, looks like they tried to make uh, garlic mustard pesto the wrong way." <laughs> there was, I made that joke like early in the day, and then I saw it on so many other pages, and I'm like, oh, "I guess I wasn't that original." But um, yeah, but my my article this week is actually about house plants, right. and um, and it was shared on uh, a Instagram account that I really love. And if you're into native plants, especially ones that might not be uh, as native to where you are, because and they're really unique, is uh, is Lillian Bird, and she works for the Florida Native Plant Society as like a, a botanist, I believe, and um, just a really really good follow because she just shows some way different stuff than we have around here, and uh, and is really knowledgeable and engaging with her videos. And your, I just want to say, your article is shorter than mine. You, I, you trimmed it the, I trimmed the ton okay. out. Like right. this is I what I do. Fran just puts the whole article in and says, "Oh, and four pages." Okay, oh, I just I cut out what I don't want to read beforehand, just right. so I kind of keep it shorter and more succinct. Um, I I don't have that gene in me. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> it's but, gonna be long and drawn, <laughs> drawn out. <laughs> but uh, but the article she shared was in Wired, and oh, okay. it was titled "When a Houseplant Obsession Becomes a Nightmare," and it was actually published back in October. But I think because of some of the things Fran and I were talking about beforehand, I'm like, I can't choose. I got to go with this article. All right. And um, it was written by Brian Howie. And uh, I will read a little bit and then and give you some of my perspective. Uh, your monstera is boring. The pothos hanging from your bookshelf, yawn. The windowsill cactus collection is at best a solid meh. Anyone can grow houseplants that absorb nutrients from the soil, energy from the sun, etc. But if your plants don't consume insect flesh in a gut-sucking display <laughs> of evolutionary brutality, let's face it, your collection is basic. To turn your mild-leafed uh, menagerie into the ultimate selfie background, what you need is Nepenthes. Ne- yeah, Nepenthes. Uh, or Nepenthes. Nepenthes, which is pronounced Nepenthes, is a genus of pitcher plants uh, typically found in Southeast Asia, at Australia and Madagascar. Note, not the United States. Um, the plants produce vase-shaped contraptions that grow from emerald leaves fanning off a vine, each one topped uh, with a mouth-like opening and shielded from the rain by an umbrella lid. 
The pitchers secrete a sweet nectar that insects find irresistible and inebriating after a sip or two, sugar-drunk bugs stumble into the mouths and fall to their doom, landing in a pool of digestive juices enclosed by walls so slippery that even the stickiest-footed fly can't escape. The drowned corpses slowly dissolve, and the pitchers absorb their nutrients like a stomach, allowing uh, Nepenthes... Nepenthes um, great article, Tom, for someone who can't pronounce <laughs> ordinary words. Uh, why not choose this one? <laughs> allowing Nepenthes plants to grow in nutrient-poor soils. It's the macabre, uh, macabre survival strategy that makes the plants so bizarrely beautiful and so co- uh, coveted by hobbyists. But buyers beware, Nepenthes collecting, as I eventually learned almost too well, is next-level stuff. There's a lot more of these plants than fertilized in YouTube how-tos. They're botanical prima donnas, liable to walk out of uh, on life without notice if their specific needs aren't yet, aren't their specific needs aren't met, and your new hobby will shove you into a strange world. There's something dark in the pits of those pitchers, and it's not the rotting bugs. If you fall in, you may land in an acidic soup of crime, addiction, and ex- existential angst. <laughs> <laughs> See, I couldn't not choose this article. No, it's, it's all these words I can't pronounce. Well, it's very fun. Very well um, written. Carnivorous plant nurseries charge hundreds, occasionally thousands of dollars for desirable species. These expensive specimens are often tiny, decades shy of Instagramable maturity. Um, if Matt, who is one of the focal points of this article, was going to collect the best of them, he'd need a cheaper source. So when fellow hobbyists shared an eBay listing in a fairly priced uh, Nepenthes rigidifolia, an extremely rare species that few collectors grow, Matt was intrigued. The vendor lived in Indonesia, where uh, that plant comes from. Matt's research had taught him that importing plants without the proper certificates was illegal, but the seller assured him everything would work out fine. Matt clicked, buy it now. As he connected with more sellers from Malaysia and Indonesia, some of his orders had arrived. Tattered dirt and moss still clinging to the roots. Horticulturally produced Nepenthes don't typically come with the patchy sunburnt leaves these plants had. They looked as if they'd been plucked straight from the unforgiving rainforest where they grew naturally and where they were protected by local and international law. Matt wasn't just importing plants illegally, he was importing illegal plants. As I tumbled in this world, I found a group of fellow plant dorks dorking out. Many collectors were kind and accepting, and some were vocally against poaching. But after I had explored the community further, sifting through the rumors of scams, theft, and sabotage, I began to understand this dark truth. Ignorant and uncaring collectors were quite quickly eradicating their favorite species in the wild. Poaching threatens more than a quarter of the genus, according to the recent ecological survey, and 13 species have nearly vanished from the rainforest. The problem has only gotten worse, according to Adam Cross, a co-author of the survey, as demand remains strong and it becomes easier to access formerly secluded Nepenthes populations. If this isn't addressed, Cross says, these species will be extinct in five to ten years or sooner. Some are already gone. When Matt bought his uh, Nepenthes rigifolia on eBay in 2012, that species still existed in the wild. Today, it's most likely extinct, living only in collectors' greenhouses. Many species grow only on two mountaintops, nowhere else, and reproduce so slowly that poachers can devastate an uh, entire species in a single visit. Poaching has gotten so bad that Cross's colleagues have stopped announcing when they discover new populations of endangered Nepenthes. If they shared even a photo of the habitat online, the plants would be gone, he says. Collectors' primal desire to own these plants has turned them into the grim reapers of their own obsession. Nearly everyone I interviewed for this story pointed to collectors as the prime drivers of the Nepenthes train wreck. The poachers themselves are just the uh, are just the cross ties under the tracks, they said. Still, I wanted to learn why someone would poach plants and whether they saw themselves in the machete-wielding arms of the Western Extinction Machine. <laughs> the wording of this is fantastic. I know it is. Um, so when an American Nepenthes nursery owner tipped me off that a Malaysian man had recently tried to sell him poached plants, I reached out. And after a series of awkwardly translated WhatsApp messages, uh, WhatsApp messages, arranged a meeting with a professional poacher who I'd call Saya. Uh, that was not his real name, of course. 
A few days later, I watched a hand-rolled cigarette bounce haphazardly from the quarter of Sire's mouth as he explained his poaching process. It was very simple. He said, via an imper- interpreter, go to the forest, find the plants, ship the plants, pay the bills. From the same tribe as uh, some other researchers, Sire lives in the village on the shoulder of Mount uh, Kinabalu, home to several desirable Nepenthes species. Sire lost his job back in 2015. Even with steady work, it's not easy to support a handful of kids and a wife in Borneo, so he turned to the family business. Most of his village poaches exotic plants, he said, to supplement earnings from the local rubber plantations. Sire's brother-in-law taught him the basics, and he soon more, earned more as a poacher than he'd ever made through legal employment. Today, he estimates that 80% of in- his income is poaching Nepenthes from, and orchids. All of his business comes from Facebook. Uh, Nepenthes represents an enormous challenge for botanic conservationists. How do you convince collectors to get worked up about, a, about saving a plant from across the globe when they can have them all to themselves at home? Part of the issue is that most people don't care much about wild plants, including many plant nerds. Humans threat modeling tells us to treat animals like the furniture in a room and plants like the wallpaper. We're so focused on the chairs we don't notice the peeling walls. Botanists even have a term for this plant or term for this plant blindness. Nepenthes collectors are blind not to the plants themselves, but their own eradication campaign. I, I can see why you chose this because oh, yeah. this really <laughs> ties into our take it or leave it later. Yeah, it's not and I the article itself is really fascinating, and the article is significantly longer than this. I just kind of chose the, enough to get the point across. Um, but yeah, it's just it's fascinating that this is happening there with this individual this individual genus. But this is something that happens locally, really across the yeah. world, and locally yeah. too. Um, and I don't want to spoil our take it or leave it, yeah. because I know you have a really good example of something yeah. that happened. Uh, we just found out the other day. Yeah, uh, that happened. Is ir- I should say is happening close to us. Yeah, um, and I'm sure not the extent of this. I don't think. But. No, but there's there's examples that we've heard from everyone on this, and I don't know what the answer is, and that's why we thought it would make a good. Actually, you brought it up as it. It's kind of like a a subtopic from the last taker. Yeah. Leave it. Yeah. So no, it's it's eye opening. I didn't know where it was going, but once it kind of went into it, I was like, yeah, I see it, and it's and it's just a collection. It's someone's. It's being poached from the wild, eradicated from the wild, mm-hmm. serving an ecological purpose in a in a manner in which it evolved mm-hmm. to sit on someone's shelf. Yeah, yeah. And it's it's to me it's it's no different than having a caged bird. Mm-hmm. Very similar, and it happens that. with animals too. Yeah. Um, in the U.S., you hear about foreign animals, and I I want to say it's tigers. But there's like more tigers in the state of Texas today than there are in the wild. I'm going to fact check that because I'm not exactly sure that's the I species. But that's right. If I remember, there was something they make mention to that on season two of Tiger King. <laughs> I believe. Yeah, uh, there's two thousand to five thousand tigers in Texas. Um. Oh, this is a long art. I'm not reading this whole thing. We have a podcast to do. Right. I can't, I can't <laughs> go well, and read this. But anyway, it's the concept is still like the same, and it, yeah. it's there for a lot of plants, even less rare plants. Um, there's the whole topic revolving like sustainable collection, um, and collection can be really important in a lot of cases. But uh, yeah, no, just fascinating article, and uh, and. While it is not a native plant here, of yeah. course, I think it's a concept that's applicable um, really across 
not even just plants, but yeah, other, I, I other wildlife I agree. Uh, genuses. So two great articles on Monday. We will post uh, the poll on our Native Plants Healthy Planet Facebook group, and you can go there and vote for the winner because there has to be a winner. Uh, so make sure you go and vote because. And of course, the choice is yours. Stay tuned for more of the Native Plants Healthy Planet podcast presented by Pinelands Nursery. Hi, I'm Casey Clapp. And I'm Alex Croson. And we're hosts of Completely Arbitrary, the podcast about trees and other related topics. Each episode, we talk about one species of tree. We first teach you how to identify the tree in its native habitat, and then we share a story about that tree and its place in history, ecology, mythology, food, sociology, and lots more. Then we give the tree its titular arbitrary rating from 0 to 10 golden cones of honor, and we play a silly tree game before answering a listener question. If you're a fan of Native Plants Healthy Planet, we think you'd love our episode on the Black Cottonwood, Wrongfully Scorned, Rightfully Wrong, all about the ecological role that cottonwoods play, contrasted with their reputation in society. Or you may be interested in our episode on the sweet gum, Liquid Amber Flows From It, where you'll hear me and Alex debate the merits of this tree from an ecological and arbicultural perspective. Find new episodes of Completely Arbitrary every Thursday, anywhere you listen to your pods, or explore our vast catalog of tree stories from around the world. Should we uh, end with a tree pun? Sure, you got any ideas? Hmm, no, I'm stumped. Welcome back to the Native Plants Healthy Planet Podcast, presented by Pinelands Nursery. I am thinking listener shoutouts. Okay. What do you think? Yeah, let's do it. So in this segment, if you're new to the show, uh, this is where we give a shout out to listeners that we've had interaction with uh, in some way or another. Tom typically will give a shout out to someone that leaves a written five-star review on Apple Podcasts. We had five-star reviews this time, but no written. Yeah, no one uh, wrote anything, so I can't tell who did it. Do you have uh, a shout out? There's nothing on my script. I didn't. That's because I didn't put one on your script. I, right. I can't think of anyone who deserves a shout out because they did not do the minimal required work. I'm kidding. I have I, a couple <laughs> people picked out. All right. but I'll, I'll go in the meantime. So yep. I, I was fortunate enough to uh, to visit a gala at the Bowman's Hill Wildflower Preserve, and I got to speak to so many fantastic colleagues of ours, and I, I got to meet a lot of new people. So I wanted to give a shout out to Julie Davies, who uh, – I met at the gala and is a listener of the podcast, and I wanted to thank her for for the kind words that she shared. She had a lot of questions about the podcast, which was kind of nice to talk about mm-hmm. that a little bit. And also uh, to Avery, who is a listener of ours um, that I talked to on the phone because she is working uh, and got her local municipality to uh, start planting some native plants. They were given planters. Uh, that they were going to fill specifically with native plants uh, around the community. So um, I thought that was great that she made a positive impact uh, within her local community to get to to get the government to to work with her that way. And she was excited to get to work with us. Uh, we were her first phone call. So Avery, I want to thank you for that. Yeah, I, w- I will cut in here, Fran, and say that I'm reading this whole Tiger article, and it says they estimate about – uh, 3,300 tigers are thought to reside in India as of 2019. So, and okay. um, 8,000 are in captivity worldwide. Wow. So, yeah, yeah. that's wild. Yeah, something else. That's so crazy. Two to 5,000 of those are in the U.S. 
That's, that's a wide I'm range. sure. I wonder that's, if that number is actually lower or greater since Tiger King. Yeah, yeah. I wonder I, if that number's changed. The, the social uh, ramifications of that, I, too. I agree. So, I agree. Do you have a shout-out? I do, yeah, okay. I do. So the first one is for uh, Georgianne Sandgren. And okay. uh, just someone who, uh, it's actually been kind of cool with the uh, small retail business I have. Every once in a while, people leave like an order comment saying, hey, I listen to the podcast and I really love it. And um, so she wrote in and then uh, then it was, I got to remember the person's first name. Um, I remember the last name was Kubera. But it's uh, Catherine or I think she went by Katie. Okay. Kubera. And uh, same thing, said that they listen to the podcast and they really enjoy it. So, I love hearing that. Yeah, no, it's just it's fun to see it pop up when uh, on those order notes when uh, I love when, that people it, it throw happens. it in. So yeah, yeah. I, and the same thing with with the nursery when people like like when Avery said, yeah. oh, by the like when I answered, I don't think she was expecting me to answer. She mm-hmm. goes, oh, I listened to the podcast. Yeah, like that was the first thing. Yeah. So it starts. You know what? That starts the conversation oh, yeah. out really good. Yeah. <laughs> So yeah, so, you want special treatment. That's yeah, that's what that's you got to do. That's, <laughs> just I'm uh, kidding. That uh, will not get uh, you. We're nice to everybody here. We it's, are. We are. So we don't have any listener question or comments uh, this episode. Uh, we do not have a grow read a book. Yeah. Are you working on one? I've I've I'm doing more like hobby reading and listening now. Um, okay. I did. I'll I'll give shout outs to some of the books I've I've listened to. Okay. I, I listened to the Terminal List by guy James Carr. That was uh, if you're into like military esque type books. Uh, if you like the Jack Ryan series on Amazon Prime, I'm assuming I think that was a book too. Oh, oh Clancy yeah, Clancy book, right? Yeah, I never read the book, but I. Well, that's like Hunt for Red October. Is, okay, is that yeah. character? Those yeah, are, so very similar. The Patriot, I think. Very Jack similar um, uh, thing there. I also listened to the book uh, Remarkably Bright Creatures. Um, I don't know that. My one. wife was listening to it and said, you might like this. So I listened to that, and that was by, uh, do, 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 do. I, of course I forget, <laughs> like, Bright Creatures, looking it up right now. It is by Shelby Van Pelt, okay. and that was a fun one. And now I'm listening to one called um, Mad Honey, oh. and um, and it's about a, a the the main, or one of the main characters is a beekeeper. Um, for her for her occupation, so oh, okay. and that book is by uh, Jennifer Finney Boylan and Jody Picklout. Picklout, right. yeah, something uh, like that. Is the Mad Honey fiction or? Uh, yeah, I believe it's, okay, it's, it's fiction. fiction. Okay. It's right. one of those things. So we use the Libby app at home, and for whatever reason, I never remember the pin for my library card. So then I can't borrow anything. Yeah. So I borrowed off of my wife's card since they're linked. Yeah. And then I that was one I'm like, I don't know if I borrowed this or my wife borrowed it. Turned out she borrowed it, but then she started listening. Oh, you want to listen to this with me? So we'll, cool. we listen together Very to cool. books sometimes, and then we, we have our own little book club over dinner. So <laughs> I just some of the, the hobby stuff I'm listening to now. I'm, I'm looking ahead to segments. This is a first that we both have complaints this episode, at least that we're – Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, it's typically it's, one or another, but we it's both It's funny because have... I forgot I left this in. We skipped it last time. Yeah. All right. And I left it in, so I gotta remember what my complaint was. All right, well, since you don't remember, I'll 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 kick into mine. So um we have talked before on this podcast about companies that spray for mosquitoes and that you can't 
put a reentry sign on for the other pollinators to say, don't enter. <laughs> you know, yeah. 24 hours, we're only trying to kill the mosquitoes and how this spray work also takes not only mosquitoes out but their uh, uh, predators and, and beneficial insects and pollinators. Uh, so I was – at lunch, leaving work the other day, and, and someone down the road had a company sign out because they were using a mosquito service. And I noticed that that mosquito service had been awarded a best of by mm-hmm. the local paper. Um, and that really just drove me crazy that not only are they partially at hand for destroying the ecosystem, but they're being rewarded for it mm-hmm. from the newspaper. Now, I didn't stop to see what category they won best of, but – I mean, this is something that even the paper is bringing light to, yeah. Uh, yeah. to reward it, and it just really kind of made me. At first, it made me angry, and then it made me sad that mm-hmm. this continues to be a bigger. It, it's becoming a bigger industry, yeah. Instead of kind of going away, and people realizing maybe this is a bad thing, like. Mm-hmm. Like I'm almost waiting for the DDT trucks to start going down the road in the middle of the night again, <laughs> so you can you and, can run well, behind the it's fog. Not, it's not DDT, but they do yeah. um, um, municipal mosquito spraying in yeah. a lot of different towns yeah. um, as part of it. And that was one of my concerns about the whole uh, in New Jersey, the spotted lanternfly spray, uh, spraying. They're giving out grants to townships to to do that, yeah. um, and it's again, it's one of those. Uh, those conundrums because it is invasive species that we do want to control and the, the by far the the easiest most effective and uh most uh cost efficient control is to just spray spray an herbicide yeah. things die easy when you you spray the right herbicide on them however you have this wild area yeah or i should i should say like a you that little wood strip in the community um, so they're going to spray all that, kill uh, everything, every insect that's in there. Realistically, um, that or that's susceptible to that pesticide, and then you're probably not going to get them all because they're not going to spray in the trees sixty feet up. Yeah, like especially if there's houses around. Now you have like that's that would be irresponsible to do that. Yeah, with totally. the, the drift concerns. So you still have plenty of spotted lanternflies. When I've like again, I mentioned hunting earlier. When I'm hunting, I I'm seeing way more spotted lanternflies when I'm 20 feet up in a tree than I am at ground level. Yeah. So, totally. and a lot of sprayers aren't getting up there or, you or can't even know safe, to get up or there. you can't safely, or, or you do can't it. safely get up there. If they're doing it, it's yeah. So it's like, is the, is it worth the risk is I guess what I'm saying in that. Yeah. That, and yeah. I mean, it's, it's funny. Like you get little victories. I, if I, if I'm correct, I just heard that, that glyphosate, for retail purposes, won't be on the believe, yeah won't be on the shelves true. by twenty twenty four. There's still like you you'll still see Roundup as a brand. It just won't have like life in it. Yeah. So um, so you make you make which is another it's, another it's something else conundrum because it's something else that's and I remember I saw this in uh uh I was in Home Depot the other day and I was waiting and there just happened to be a bottle of Roundup sitting in front of me as I'm waiting for the the water jug that I needed. Um, for them to get off the shelf, and I'm looking at it, and it's like, oh, it's it's still glyphosate, but it's also got diquat in it. <laughs> yeah, I'm like okay, which one of them? You know, is but worse? even diquat, like it's... when I started in the industry, it was paraquat. <laughs> yeah, and then paraquat got 
band and it became Diquat. They just changed it. And before Powquat, it was something else. Like I remember spraying things and having people telling me, oh, this was an Agent Orange. Yeah. You know, but it doesn't – maybe that product goes away, but something else – it's something else replaces yeah. it without necessarily knowing what the outcome of – Yeah, we're going to get into like a big tangent here is um, – and that's we, – we've mentioned it with the neonicotinoid pesticides is – uh, and we and I think we even talked about it in our episode with um, Sharon Calvaggio from Xerxes Society yeah. uh, about like the milkweed conundrum. Yeah, is okay. We don't. Are, there's a lot of places that aren't using neonics anymore, but the alternatives. And a lot of people just assume that that means oh they're not spraying pesticides because yeah. they aren't using neonics. Well, that's not really the case because you still need to have some kind of control to get that plant yeah. to market and in my mind and what's been explained by the people who are behind the chemistry is like, well, the, the stuff that it's being replaced with is in a lot of times like way worse yeah. than, than what the neonics were. Um, so, and, and then, like I said, it's, it is really, really, really hard to grow uh, nursery stock or produce yeah. or anything pesticide free at scale. Yeah. Um and and we've talked about it. part yeah. of that is you're you're creating a lot of times you see insect is something's out of balance. Mm-hmm. It, like pest yes. like something's out of balance. Well, when you're creating a nursery stock and you're growing 100,000 of something, you're creating a monoculture. So it's out of whack. It's not going to be a balanced ecosystem when you're creating nursery crops. Mm-hmm. Um so you're going to get that and if you want it to come to market, there's a lot of times there has to be some kind of insect control. Mm-hmm. Um, no matter – you can try to do everything correctly, uh, but products get used. Uh, yep. Even organic products doesn't necessarily mean that yeah. they're yep. they're 100% safe. So um, I just saw that sign and it kind of – a little piece of me died. Yeah, And no, I thought I wanted to bring it up. Every time I see one of those signs, I'm like, mm, I wish they knew. It's not – I'm not going to go knock on their door and tell them. Um, the ones that really drive me nuts are the ones that are uh, are – um, what was I going to say? The ones that say, like, I don't remember. It was like, I, I can't remember yeah. what I'm trying to say. It's like not pet safe or like family yeah. safe. It's just like, uh, like they're, oh, environmentally friendly. Because a lot of times those aren't. No, they can be. There are environmentally yeah. friendly, um, I don't want to say insecticides, but mosquito repellent yeah. type sprays. Yeah. Uh, Rick McCoy talked about it in our gardening with yeah. native, was it gardening with native plants or meet our listeners? I think it was gardening with native plants. And he talks about what you can some of the stuff that they'll use. Yeah. That's like it's more like essential oil based in a yeah. lot of cases. And you can there's yeah. certain plants like we talked mm-hmm. about mountain mint. Yep. Uh, naturally, yeah. it will repel them. So there's there's other things you can do. There's natural alternatives out there. Yeah. I don't know how well they work, but yep. but we have that's my complaint. But we do have a Tom's Petty. So I, I wrote in here, uh, native plants for pollinators, and um, I and didn't I'm, know where you're going. I'm with still this. trying to figure out exactly what I was doing when I first wrote this two weeks ago. I think it was along the lines of you have you have just uh, warring factions in a sense of how to do this the right way, and I don't I don't know what side is is more right. I don't know if either side is perfectly right, um, but a lot of it is like you. Ha- or 
the broader picture picture here is you have this like these factions of what is the right way to do native plants and how like when it comes to the local ecotype, when it comes to provenance, I guess those are kind of the same thing. Yeah. When it comes to like how far plants are moving in all this. And it's one of those things where we say like, don't let perfect be in the way of good. Um, Like we just, we need to get to good first when it comes to garden centers and what's available, even at home Depot and Lowe's and, and those kind of places we need to get to good first. Yes. And we're, we're, pausing uh or there, there's things out there or groups out there that are saying oh we can't do it this way because it's not good enough like it's not perfect and i agree with them to an yeah. extent because native plants if you go get too lax with it the message gets corrupted yes. we're already seeing that to an extent where you'll have um have plants that are labeled native plants but it's a plant from the desert southwest, and it's showing up in a, a garden center in in Massachusetts. Yeah. Is that really? Ma- but it's it's labeled native, and you have people going in, and they got this nice shiny label, and it says native plant on it. They're going to buy native plants. They think they're doing something good, and uh, and, and in a lot of respects they are. Um, but is it as good as it should have been? Were they misled in the sense that's definitely happening yeah. too? And we don't want that to happen. But if we made it so that every native plant you bought had to be from like that county. Yeah. That's, I don't, I don't think that's possible. No. And now you're going to have people not buying native plants because they, they just don't exist. That's so limited that, you know, in a perfect world, you'd want local provenance first, but if you can't get local provenance, I'd rather see you get something, a native Mm -hmm. plant that's not local provenance over a non-native or an invasive. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Um, And, um, I don't, I don't buy. Oh, I shouldn't say I don't buy into it. I don't think when I'm buying native plants, I'll get stuff from like our range adjacent or something that's yeah. even outside of our range and is a native somewhere else south of here. But I'm not thinking of climate change when I do it. I'm thinking of oh, this is a cool plant. I enjoy it. It adds a little bit more um, interest to my garden that someone else might look and say, "Hey, that's a really cool plant." Oh well, all these plants in my garden are are native slash quasi native yeah. to here. So it's um, that's what I think about when I'm getting that stuff, but yeah, it's a uh, and there's a couple articles that are in a podcast I listen to, and the one podcast was talking about like a rift in the native plant world, and I'm like, I'm not gonna like this, yeah. and I listen to it, and I'm like, oh, I actually agree with a lot of that, yeah. and it was a lot of it was just you have some folks out there that are just really really extreme yeah. with it's oh if I'm getting a native plant it's gotta be from here. And uh, or it's got to be from like my backyard, and it just it eliminates choices. But you can't hold everyone to your own standards, yeah. and we've we've yeah. talked about that too. Let everyone uh, yeah, take I that journey. If you're yeah. if that's something you're into, I think that's great. That's awesome. But that doesn't mean like we have to get to a standard where I'm going to the garden center, where I'm going to Lowe's, Home Depot, I'm going to Walmart, and I'm seeing more native plants than invasive plants <laughs> at the at this point. I, we aren't even there yet, let alone know, native versus non native. It has gotten better. Yeah. It has improved. I'll, I will say because I look every year. This year was an improvement over last year, but they're still invasives. They, they're about equal number, yeah. and it's small amounts of both, mm-hmm. which is interesting. Yeah. So the bulk of it is non-native or cultivars yeah. or uh, non-invasive. So it's mm-hmm. it's a lot of filler. Yeah. And it's one of those things. Like I, I have conversations. With, we're I'm somewhere in the middle. Yeah. Is what I'm saying here. 
And I have conversations with both sides where people say, hey, we need more local provenance native plants. Yeah. I'm like, I agree. And then I'll talk to some of my nursery friends that are primarily grew all non-natives. Yeah. And now they want to add more natives. And this is great. But they're yeah. like, this is what, what you have people asking for is just way too restrictive. We need to just have... Like, we need to loosen up a little bit and just let us get you native plants work, out there. You need to work that. And I'm like, yeah. I agree. <laughs> it's yeah. it, The the answer is somewhere. You need to In have regionally available native plants. I agree. So if, if there's stuff available for the Mid-Atlantic and stuff avail- available to the Midwest, we got to get to there first, but yeah. therefore we can take the next step. Because I think what happens when we get too restrictive up front is you just have people who don't even get on board. They, they can't get up. on the bus because, yeah. like, oh, I'm – this is what I'm supposed to do. I physically not can't doing that. do it. Yeah, I'm not doing that. Um, I cannot find those plants. It's already hard enough to find native plants. We can't hold them to a, the next standard. Yeah, I, agree. So, I agree. Especially if we're going to want people who are, their landscapers are getting native plants, and they don't care what plants are in their yard. They're just getting native plants. If we're getting to that point, yeah. we can't be that restricted. No, we keep talking about widening the circle. It doesn't yeah. matter if a, a select handful of us plant only natives. It's not enough. We need more people just to plant a couple natives. Yeah. It goes a, a lot longer. It's a whole homegrown national park yeah. concept. Yeah. So, um, so just, I think that's what I was trying to hit on with that, but eh, no problem. Well, I'm just looking at time, and we still have a lot of stuff to cover, and we're well over an hour already. So we'll kick in. We As a topic, we didn't really have a real topic, but uh, – we Tom and I Tom and I have had the real luxury of actually recording episodes in advance uh, with mm-hmm. guests that we typically we actually have a few in the can and a few scheduled to come up that we're really excited about. We just wanted to share some of those guests and topics. Typically, we wait to the last minute to let everyone know, or we don't even tell you until yeah, it comes and that's out. Typically, because we don't because we, we don't know. know. But uh, we we have had uh, the American Literal Society with Captain Al Majeski uh, talking about coastal resiliency and some of the work that they're doing, and we're really excited. That one will be out next week. Uh, we had a great conversation with Uli Lorimer, Lorimer of the Native Plant Trust. Uh, that was that was the first time in all these episodes that I forgot we were recording a podcast. Yeah. Um, yeah. We it was and and Uli said it after we stopped recording. The only thing missing was was a few beers because it was mm-hmm. like we were we were sitting around at a conference talking shop, uh, and it got pretty uh, not controversial, but we we really. Dove we dove into, into some of the stuff we just talked talk about, about too, in uh, in his perspective, which is yeah. in is on a, it's on the same spectrum, yes. but it's a different place on the spectrum than I yeah. think I am and Fran. I know yeah. you're yeah. we're close together, yes. but we're not at the same and, point exactly. So. And and the one thing I loved about the conversation with Uli is Uli has done so many podcasts. You can mm-hmm. hear him on Independence yeah. Plants, so many other things. I think this is a, you're getting a different conversation than you've heard from him. So I really hope you tune in. That's going to be the end of May, beginning of June, before mm-hmm. you hear that one. Yep. Uh, the other one coming up that we're going to record soon that Tom and I are both excited about because we're both listeners is completely arbitrary. Uh, and I know we aired one of their ads on our episode last week. But these are two guys that we really enjoy listening to, mm-hmm. and we're excited to have them on just to talk shop and, and just pick their brains. Uh, yeah. So we're excited to have them on. Uh, if you don't know them, listen to a couple episodes. They're they're actually doing a series where they're revisiting trees that they've done previously. So mm-hmm. they do one tree, an episode where they really dive into it. They give you the history, um, mm-hmm. how to identify it in the wild. The knowledge is it's a podcast that you and I couldn't do. It, no, it's a ton no. of 
So you you would think it's a lot of research, which I'm sure it's, it is, but it's, it's a lot more of polished. Yeah, and, <laughs> we are, but it's a lot of knowledge, and yeah. some of it's known. Uh, but there are um, so many great things. I I learned how to pronounce Douglas the botanical for Douglas fir. I've been pronouncing it wrong the whole time. So start start there. It's uh, which is Pseudosugo menziesii, uh, and then they they talk about things that maybe aren't native but they'll explain why something is a bad choice and then they rate it afterwards yeah. so you get your your cones they, yes they rate it on the cones up to scale. 10 golden cones yeah. and actually they're revisiting some of those i'm halfway through today's episode of uh dawn redwood mm. which i'm i'm truly enjoying so yeah. uh it gives you a little bit of everything with with humor and tons of tons of knowledge so listen to that before they're on that will probably be mid-june that you'll hear mm. them uh and we have can we talk about some of the ones that we haven't scheduled yet? Do you want to? I, um, or I don't want to get wait? people's hopes, hopes up. All right. There's one that we we can't believe we're having this person on the podcast that they agreed. I'm trying to remember who that is, Fran. Well, they There's were, a lot of they were out were. of the country, and then they came back, and before we scheduled, they, they left the country again. We're waiting for them. Oh, right. yeah, yeah. We're waiting. to Let's, let's keep that one. In the, All right. Let's keep that, that one. Some people are going to know. Some people aren't going to know, but the people that know are going to kind of be shocked that the person's coming on. And we have an, another author that was scheduled, but we kind of we had, had we a doubled conflict. up. Yeah, yeah we, it was our scheduling app let them book for the same time, so yeah. we had to. We but had to it, move but if some you stuff around. if you enjoyed our Cougar episode, you'll you'll like this guest. So there's just some great guests coming up. We have the luxury of having some already recorded. It's been a little bit of a time warp because, of course, it's happening at the busiest yeah. time of the year for yeah. us, but. And the number of people who we've we've reached out to, that, well, one we haven't heard from is always crazy. But yeah. that we've heard, and they they said, hey, let's we'll pick a time, and just we haven't got it on the books yet is staggering. Well, we That's, we have had uh, um, Jennifer Cabrera uh, gave us a list of recommendations of people that she thought would be great guests as a listener, and I, we appreciate that. And we did have one reach – I was so thankful. Like we had reached out and no one had gotten back to us, and one got back to us and said, I don't know why my people aren't getting back to you, but I'm personally telling you I will come on the podcast, yeah. but it has to go through my people. And their people still hasn't yep. reached out, but she's keeping touch saying, I I don't know what's happening, but I'm telling you I will come on. Yeah, yeah. So I, I don't want to say that name either, but we're excited about – it's a author-poet. Uh, that we're really excited mm-hmm. about. So, yep. uh, so we're excited. We hope you're excited. Keep stay tuned. We're excited about the past episode with the American chestnut. That mm-hmm. was one of my favorite conversations, oh, yeah. and I learned a lot about that. And and the response to that one yep. has been phenomenal. And if there's someone you want to hear from, let us know too. Go in the Facebook group or send us a message, uh, Instagram, email, any of that. Uh, we read them all as long as we see them. Yeah. Um, we See can't always respond to everyone, yeah. but we we try. But um, yeah, that's uh, we're always up for for suggestions, and yeah. and I know some of the times we get suggestions of people that we've been working on already. So there's there's always, plenty of people, like Tom said, there's plenty yeah. of people that we reach out to. Yeah, when numerous. we get those suggestions, we say, hey, if you you can tell them too, tell them because, too, yeah. <laughs> because we're trying and it hasn't worked yet. So, uh, but. That leads us to take it or leave it. We yeah. kind of teased at this one that we we're going to save it for this one, and we've talked about things that are leading us to this, uh, which I'm glad we kind of saved it to the end. And our take it or leave it is sustainable – I don't want to say collection, more foraging, sustainable foraging or sustainable collection. Yeah. Yeah, I think yeah. It, there's a whole gamut of things here. And you had talked and, about 
foraging and if mm-hmm. if there's a, a small population and someone takes a few and then someone else later in the day takes a few and by the end of the day there could be none left even yeah. though everyone kind of tried to be yeah that my example specifically was like with morel mushrooms and i've heard of this happening where you'll have a patch and uh, maybe there's 50 in the patch uh, guy comes in and says, i'm not going to take more than then 10%, I'm going to leave my fair share. So yeah. they take five or 10 or something like that. And then the next person comes along and they see a patch of 40. Yeah. <laughs> they say, oh, I'll take four or five. And you just, each person individually is saying, oh, I'm only going to, I'm going to collect it responsibly. But you reach a group of people and eventually you come to that last one. Oh, I found my first morel. Yeah. And it's the only one yeah. left. So now you've had a, a whole bunch of them there that are now all gone because you had a number of people that only took a small amount exactly and and i chose my plant ramp you know for this like we got to enjoy it but i want to find a way that i can create a community of it where it occurs naturally where i can prevent it from going extinct and not over collect it Mm -hmm. um without without hurting the wild population that they were that that they were taken from but we were hearing you mentioned you know, I know this is kind of where you were heading with your house plant with mm-hmm. collections, but we had our propagator was at a collection site, which is a, a nature center um, and a nature conservancy. And they were saying one of the biggest problems that they're having is poaching because they will give a tour. Yeah. To and, ID. and this is a place where you aren't allowed to collect from. Yes. Uh, I'll yeah. put that out there yeah. too. So they will give a tour and say, oh, this is this mushroom. This is where it lives, and this is how you identify it, and this is our pawpaw grove that are growing, and this is where you know we'll be able to supply pawpaws. And then the next day they come in, and there's no mushrooms, and there's pawpaws ripped out of the ground. And they're like, it, it can't be a coincidence that they disappear mm-hmm. every time we give this tour. Yep. But – there's, there's, you know, people are saying I need to get my hands on these and I'm going to take it, and yeah. it's a shame. One that there's not an outlet for you to buy these plants out, and that, that's changing. I know we're we're dealing with a company called the Paw Paw Project that mm-hmm. are working with farmers trying to be able to sustain a Paw 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 as a crop for for consumption, and also working mm-hmm. with uh, supermarkets to say work with these farmers. To bring this project or this mm-hmm. product to to the yeah. consumer, there's yeah. a market for it. Um, but in that time, you can't just. I mean, poaching's not a new new thing. You think oh, of ginseng no. No, and and other things like mm-hmm. that that are that are rare and hard to find. That yep. people have to have it, and it's just at what point is sustainable collection or foraging not an option? Yeah, yeah, it's. Um, I don't know. I don't know I, is the answer. I, I, it's uh and and it's also tough to say because like with ramps in particular we're I've heard that we're losing ramp populations and it's because from in my opinion it's probably not because my brother and I went and and had a spot at a friend's place and collected yeah. some yeah um and however many other people are collecting some yeah it's you have people who are making money off of it and selling it to restaurants that are saying, "Oh, I, I get a quarter a plant. I don't know what the rate is, but I'm getting so many a plant. So well, there's no incentive for me to leave them here. It's well, I someone I, else will get them. I didn't share this with you, but one of uh, the employees here shared with me that one of their neighbors is the head chef at um, a supermarket chain, mm-hmm. and he was asking where they can go collect 
ramps yeah. because they needed them for this dish they were preparing and they needed large amounts and they were just going to go to wherever they were and collect it. Yeah. And it's a supermarket chain that you you know. If I said yeah. it, you would know. But that's the kind of stuff that's wiping out these populations yeah. for mass consumption. Um, and that's what's tough. I don't know. You, you want everyone to enjoy it. You want everyone to appreciate what nature has to offer. That's what we keep talking about. But we have also mentioned if everyone went vegetarian, there wouldn't be enough mm-hmm. <laughs> wouldn't yeah. be enough native food to sustain you because yeah. it would it would be wiped out. So, um, on one respect, it's it's a little frustrating when you see it wipe out. In the other, on the other respect, people are. Becoming informed, they're learning about these things. Mm-hmm. They want to try them. They want and, to be excited. You yeah. want them to have a win. You want them to enjoy it. Mm-hmm. And it's just, at what point can is it harmful? And I don't. <laughs> yeah, I don't know where that line actually is, and um, and it's hard to say. And yeah. like I, I'm another thing that kind of goes along with this is I've talked about, uh, um, uh, acorn, not acorn. What am I saying? Antler uh, shed hunting. So yes. white-tailed deer drop their antlers, and people make big hobby, and they're picking up all these antlers. Well, that's food for a lot of yeah. a lot of uh, animals in the winter, and it's it's very nutrient dense food in a lot of cases. So you're picking them up, and I I think I'm okay with picking up some. If I was walking through and found like a, a some big giant ones, I'd be like, okay, I'm gonna take this is cool, but uh, little ones, I'm gonna. I'll probably leave them there yeah. because it is feeding something. And the same thing with a lot of these plants. And, and we seed collect all the time. There's, uh, there's um, uh, like all kinds of birds that are eating berries and, and turkeys are eating seed and, yeah. and all kinds of things that are eating these seeds for harvesting some too. Yeah. So that's one of the things we do is we try not to over collect in these sites. We we've um, actually just had this conversation yeah. with, with a state government agency yeah. because yeah. they wanted us to sell them seed for a plant that we collect. And we were like, we really can only collect enough to produce our own plant material. We don't have enough seed to sell. And they're like, collect more seed. And we're like, we can't sustainably collect more seed without hurting the sites that we collect mm-hmm. or we rotate sites. Yep. We only collect from a certain population. If we do that, we're going to over collect and destroy the sites that are helping us, you need to help yeah. us find, you know, but the state doesn't want us to collect on their land. Yeah. They want us to yeah. sell them seed, but we can't collect protected properties. So it's how do we, mm-hmm. how do we solve this? Yeah. And they're actually working to actually find private land for us yeah. to collect so we can sell them. And seed. then another issue with, uh, with the collection, especially seed collection. So you're doing berries, seed, that kind of stuff. Um, and, and plants, I guess. Is um it's food. It's food <laughs> one, but now you're actually so it, like I'm thinking of um different different berries. You have there's a ripening spectrum. Yes. It's not like everything just it's everything's ripe. It's you have some that are ripen early, some that are ripen late, a little and it's a bell curve, I yeah. guess. So we'll tend to go towards the top of that bell curve and then we're only collecting the stuff that we can reach. Sometimes yeah. we're on ladders and sometimes but so if, say, we're collecting this berry and we're only collecting everything that's at, uh, at like, chest height yeah. and uh, and we're only doing it that one day of the year, we just removed a whole bunch of genetics out of the population. Yeah. So you may have – I know with grasses, one of the things is some grasses will shatter and actually break in half. So now the seed is hanging down. And that's lower than what we're going to collect. You've just selected out um, shattering out of your collection, yeah. out of the gene pool. Yeah. 
So that collection, you're already, you're one, you're lessening the gene pool from our perspective of what we're going to grow, and we're looking for genetic diversity. And we know that, yeah. and we, we try and take that in consideration. But we're also lessening the gene pool of what's left, and you're going to have an imbalance of, so and it's the same, if you're taking, you go and you're, Pulling ramps, it's you're gonna yeah. pull the ones that are up. But yeah, <laughs> so yeah. If you get there early, and now now all the ones that came up early are gonna be, it's gonna the population uh, yeah. will start to bloom there's, later. There's so many things like arrive we, later. We mentioned it's 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 providing food for wildlife, so you have to make sure you're not hurting or over hurting the wildlife population mm-hmm. that depends on that as well. Um, yeah, and, uh, there's just so many factors going yeah. into it that you just have to be cognizant and careful of. Um, that is hard. Yeah, we have a lot of these where we don't have an answer. Yeah, but but it's, it's a good but it's thing it's to good about. to think about. It's like if you're cognizant of it, you're a lot further along. Than most people, and it would be so much easier to be ignorant of it. But um, you're we're better off having thinking about it and knowing what we're doing there, instead of not. You even have to take into consideration. I was trying to think of this earlier, and it had taken my mind if plants are short-lived if you mm-hmm. over collect seed from plants say like a big blue stem isn't probably a very long-lived plant but it mm-hmm. reseeds itself in and keeps coming in if you over collect that over time you're you're depleting mm-hmm. that population as well so yep. it's yep. i don't know there you you, you want to do the right thing you try to do the right thing and it's but then you see so many instances of things being poached or destroyed even after we've been to a place to collect where it may be collected mm-hmm. or things like that. Yep. So it's – if if everyone was able to produce enough native plant material, maybe some of that would end. I don't know. Yeah. No, I guess like, so. Yeah. But That's the answer. Yeah. There you go. Think about it. <laughs> Think that's about what it. we're saying. It depends. Think about it. <laughs> so, Think about it. There you go. All right. Well, that's going to wrap us up for this week. Thank you for joining us. We hope you enjoyed listening to The Buzz. Thank you, everyone, for listening to Native Plants, Healthy Planet, presented by Pylons Nursery. As always, thank you, RJ Comer, for our Buzz theme music. It wouldn't be the same without it. Make sure you uh, listen or buy RJ's music wherever you consume your music. Check out his Americana playlists on uh, Pandora. You will enjoy them. Follow us on Twitter at Pineland Nursery, Facebook at Pinelands Nursery NJ, Instagram at Native Plants underscore Healthy Planet, or you can also uh, check us out on Instagram at Pinelands Nursery. And of course, you can check out our videos at YouTube at Pinelands Nursery. Don't forget about the question and comment line. Little Birdie told me that uh, we may be getting a call from Saul soon. Don't want to jinx it. Said he was working yeah. on something special for us, which is nice. Yeah, we, we haven't heard yeah. from him in a while. Many of our new listeners don't even know who Saul is because mm-hmm. it's it's very infrequent now that he calls. But uh, you can you can call us with a question or a comment at two one five three four six six one eight nine. I will repeat that two one five three four six six one eight nine, and we will do our best to to play your call on a future uh, episode of the Buzz and. Welcome to all the new members in Native Plants Healthy Planet Facebook group. There's been a few hundred just over the last week. Uh, We appreciate you finding us and being a part of our community. And uh, just remember to keep it kind there. All right. So uh, you can buy Native Plants Healthy Planet merch at our website, www.nativeplantshealthyplanet.com. I always think I say an extra W in there, but I'm pretty sure I got it right. (laughs) Uh, There's a link right at the top. takes you to a Teespring store, and we have a whole bunch of designs up there. So don't be afraid to, to pick up a design because whatever we profit off those shirts, we're actually giving to organizations we think are doing a really, really good job with native plants. Um, so far, it's gone to the Native Habitat Project right when they were getting started. Yeah, uh, That was something we had them on 
um, right when they got started up and uh, were like, oh, Kyle's an inspiration. Yeah. Like $500 to him is going to make a big, much bigger difference than if we gave it to a large organization. I agree. um, And the same thing with the Sourland Conservancy, which is in our our neck of the woods. Gave it to them and also Um, Bowman's Hill Wildflower Preserve. So, and we're, I think we're getting close to our next. Oh, uh, awesome. Next giveaway total here. That so is fantastic. I got to check again, just make sure my math okay. was was up to snuff. That's a lot of shirts and pr- uh, product. Yeah. And we appreciate yeah. you supporting all these great organizations and, if you, if and spreading you, the word. Yeah, if you already got uh, got shirts, we'd love to see them. So yeah. tag us in a social media post, uh, whether it's on Instagram, put in the Facebook group, that kind of stuff. Uh, love to see those shirts in the wild. Other than Russ Fernari's phone case, I have not seen one of our shirts in the wild. Phil Stusnick is, has a couple that I've seen them in, too. Okay. All right, awesome. I've, seen, I've gotten cool. pictures from some folks every once in a while. All right, that's very cool. Yeah, I would like to see those. And then you can listen to our podcast uh, at that same website, but you're probably going to listen on Spotify, Stitcher, Apple Podcasts, really wherever you consume your podcast. We are on all platforms. When you're there, if you can do us a big favor, hit subscribe first if you are not already. That is it makes a big, big difference. And then uh, leave a five-star review. If you do a write-up with that review, I give you a shout-out here on our Buzz episodes. Uh, those go a long way. So um, they they just mean the world to us from one. It lets us know that our content is is good. And then two, it actually helps us with the whole Apple algorithm and getting you up in charts. Subscribers are a big one, and then, then five-star reviews are a big one too. So. Yeah, I want to thank everyone. You know, this past week I noticed we were number 15. And the, on the mm-hmm. nature charts for yep. most of the week. So yep. thank you for that little bump. Yeah. So uh, with that, I I had a secret. Let's hold it. I wrote it down. I, I still do have one. Okay. But I think I told them the last buzz, buzz episode. All right. Did I say something about my wife eating liver in Paris? Was that on the last buzz episode? I don't remember. I don't know if I know that story. Well, she, oh, wait, you did. I think yes, I did. Yeah. you did. Yeah. Anyway. Did. Okay. So I, I do have a different secret. And I okay. mentioned I make. Um, I made ramp pizza, which is a great way to consume yeah. ramps if you haven't. Uh, omelets are also really good. Like the potato way I did it was really good. Um, but I think I probably make, and this is a bold claim. All right. But for like homemade pizza, I think I might make one of the, the better pizzas in the county. Ooh. I don't want to be over cocky and say the state because New Jersey is a great pizza state. It, it really, it's a big pizza um, state. I, I think we need to put that to a taste test. I'm I'm here. Here's my secret to you, Fran. Okay. I'm planning on bringing in pizzas for lunch tomorrow. All right, I'm going to go home and make them and bring them in. All right, awesome. Uh, so, and people are listening to this. You're missing out. Unless you yeah. could come. If you're listening to this at five in the morning, come visit. Maybe we'll save you a slice. Be <laughs> <laughs> show up at noon, and maybe we'll have some. But uh, yeah, no, I I think. Uh, I've gotten my dough perfected. It's All right. a sourdough recipe. Ooh, I'm one of those okay. millennials that like got on the sourdough thing, and I didn't stop because I was good at it. Okay, it's probably honestly it may be one of the things I'm like best at in my life is oh. is making wow. sourdough bread and sourdough pizza. I'm bread. a big fan of sourdough bread. Yeah. All right. All so, right. I'm I'm looking forward to tomorrow. I, it's it's honestly be a nice hard Friday to go treat. to pizza places now. Wow. My wife says that about a lot of things I cook. I'm just I I don't know. I'm just have a knack for cooking. I'm not like a professional level but i'm a good home cook but you enjoy it and i enjoy it it's like a stress reliever for me and um i like the creativity i like the time crunch of timing everything up right um so I, it's something i'm just i don't know i'm just good at it and my oh, wife everything all, you've brought in has been yeah my wonderful. wife always says uh you've ruined going out to eat like we can't go to a yeah. diner because we can make that better at home 
Um, it's like top end cheesesteaks are hard to hard to make. Top end pizza is really hard to yeah. replicate. But I'm close. Wow. I'm like real. I'm I'm really close. You know, it's funny you say because Agatha. Yeah. So many times we'll go out to eat. She'll be like, I can do this better at home. Yeah. Like, well, yeah. why are we here? It's like when we go out to eat. It's like we don't go out to eat often. When we do go out to eat, we go to like the some, the places that are rated like tops in the yeah. area because it's stuff that like I'm we're gonna go to Laser Wolf for my birthday okay. in Philly. Yeah. And um, which is supposed to be like this awesome uh, Israeli place. Awesome. So really looking forward to that. And a little more family friendly, I'm thinking, or more casual, I should say, than uh, than the other restaurant he owns, Zahav, which is like a one of the top restaurants in the country. Well, I'm going to write down to remember on the next buzz to, to review, do a pizza review. Yeah, review your pizza, we, which we've really gotten away from. That was one of the things yeah. we loved that we got a lot of criticism for. But we're going <laughs> to yeah, talk – since true. you made it, yeah. we're going to – I'll do a, a, a one-minute pizza review. Yep. How's yep. that? All right. Awesome. Great. That is a fantastic secret. I'm looking forward to tomorrow. Now I can't wait to, to come in. So look And if, to yeah, if people think they make great pizza, feel free to send them to us. We'll yeah, try them. We'll try them. Yeah. yeah. Send them. Send them. <laughs> Hand delivered. <laughs> but all right. Well, thank you again, everyone. I'm Tom. And I am Fran. Thanks again, everyone. Uh, coming up next week, we have Captain Al Majeski from the American Literal Society. So make sure you tune in for that. And we will see you again next time. Until then, keep it native. Thank you for listening to the Native Plants Healthy Planted Podcast presented by Pinelands Nursery. Remember to like, share, follow, and comment.